It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. Well, hello, everyone. Usually Tom's here, but Tom's not here today. So looks like we're going to have a really fun time. So if you want to see, listen and see some horrible moderation, don't touch that dial. Today, we're talking about leadership in the digital age, competencies for guiding future teams. So overall, welcome back to your favorite work cookie podcast. Today, we're going to start with an article. And we talk about this all the time, how sometimes we find this one gem of an article that can really lay things out and provide a blueprint. So what I have to do with Tom not being here is pretend that he's asking me questions. And then I can answer those questions because otherwise I'm like a duck out of water. What I'm going to do is I'm going to share here in the chat, I'm going to share the the PDF and also the other, uh, the actual file. But for now, you can download this link. I'll share the actual file that I have a couple of things highlighted once we get going a little bit. Let me pull up my notes. It's interesting. So this particular article, it's called Identifying Leadership Competencies for Construction 2.0. So it's geared towards the construction industry. I'm sorry, 4.0. It's a uh, study from 2022. So it's recent. And it's what's called a meta-analysis, which many of you are familiar with, where they take the literature that like what is known and they scour this this literature to figure out what are the actual competencies and then break those down. This article and taking a look through it provides a really nice blueprint for anyone in any industry in terms of the exact competencies. A little bit about on the uh, the background. So Industry 4.0, which is how it's related to Construction 4.0, was first coined in 2011 at the Hanover Fair in Germany. So, and basically what it does, it's looking to merge the, it, it's like you think of the industrial revolution. Well, this is like steps up from the industrial revolution, looking to merge digital, physical, and even biological spheres into a, a single sphere. So now we're looking at like cyber physical systems and big data and artificial intelligence and the internet of things and how they've been implemented through different industries. And that's why it's very applicable because the data that they that they found and the research that they looked at wasn't just for construction uh, industries, but it was from like financial industries, manufacturing, education, agricultural, and then looking at what are the results from these different studies that had considerable, that showed performance improvements, considerable ones. When we think we'll have to expand our mind and we'll start by doing that, and then we'll close in. We'll close in a little bit on it. Now, in general, <clears throat> excuse me. In general, just a couple of things on leadership that they found. One, the role of leadership is not only to facilitate organizational transformation, but also provide organization uh, help them adopt to new technologies. 
And when you look at effective leadership here, it's the, what they found is it exists, and we know this, it exists at every level of the organization because you can have all these different roles. You know, you can have uh, a commute, like an initiator, motivator, coordinator, an advocate, it, leadership is everywhere. Even if you're at your house, you know, you're a leader in, in some regards and at some time. So leadership is everywhere. And keeping that in mind, we're looking at the adoption of technology. What are the specific leadership competencies that are needed to be either nurtured or developed entirely for employees at every level of any organization? And again, not just the the construction organization. I want to share a little bit about on how they conducted this literature review. And the reason being is because it it's it'll provide some insight into how we all can become better researchers. For those of us in the IO psychology space, we've heard of data mining. And that's essentially what they did. They these researchers had a different way of describing it. So it's called they call it backwards snowballing. And what that basically means is in order to find certain gems of what is known of data, you take an article, a, a you know, a peer-reviewed scholarly article, and you look at it, and then you go to the reference section. And what you do is you find all kinds of related and relevant articles that might not show up in your regular search. If you're going to like your library database or Google Scholar or whatever it may be, you're going to get whatever it feeds you. But by looking and using the what we call data mining for research or backwards snowballing, that can help you find some some more gems of particular articles. So they went through the whole process. They did a literature review. They started with keywords, defined their criteria, did the database searching, and then they looked at the different themes. They did a th- th- uh, excuse me thematic analysis, and they found that the the main themes here. For the leadership competencies, there's four, but they each have like five to seven, you know, sub competencies. They're cognitive, interpersonal, business, and strategic. So I'm going to Martha, Dr. Martha. I'm first going to go to you after I share one of the competencies and how we can start to look at this. So, for example, tolerance of failure is one of the competencies, but what can we do with this? It's a blueprint. So an organization can take an article like this and say, hey, here's a blueprint, here's a map. And for the article that I, for the PDF that I'm gonna upload, you'll see some different highlights that I have. It's basically just me taking notes for, for today's show. And there's some things that I highlighted in blue. And what you'll see is the blue, that's when organizations can start to use this as a blueprint and say, for example, One of the competencies for tolerance and failure, look, mistakes are bound to occur. Leaders should be open to mistakes in the tech innovation process. And in doing so, it helps create a conducive environment and helps to motivate employees to innovate. So what companies can do is say, look, here's something. We have this. It's from a literature review. A, is this part of our, our culture? Are our leaders open to mistakes? And are we creating a conducive environment for employees to be innovative? On a scale of one to 10, for example, how open are our leaders for mistakes? These are topics. And this just this one article is full of these different topics that can be used for leadership team stand-up meetings, where they can take one of these topics, how open are our leaders to mistakes? 
how are they in uh, creating that type of environment? What happens if they aren't open to mistakes? What happens if we don't encourage our leaders to be open to mistakes? Who emulates this, for example? What are who are some of the leaders in our organization that are really open to mistakes? And how can we start to make them ambassadors for this particular topic? And when you when a company takes an article like this and uses it as a blueprint, they can pull out, as you who will see the PDF that I share, have pulled out almost uh almost like a task list or a a competency focus list that can be used to develop a training that can be used for stand-up meetings that can essentially be used to help create the competencies for leaders to be able to guide their teams better uh, in this digital age of, of leadership. So Dr. Martha, let's start with comments from you. Well, I think every mistake, whether we're talking organizations, whether we're talking personal life, is an opportunity for learning and for improvement. But when we look at organizations, we have to remember that there's a big difference between being accepting of mistakes for the purpose of improvement and learning, as opposed to because I don't care as a leader and I don't want to have to deal with it. So there's a big, big difference between the two. And I think most of us on this call have probably seen both sides of that spectrum. So as long as we have an organization that is accepting of mistakes, because that's just part of the human reality, mistakes will happen, people will make mistakes. But as long as it's used to learn and to improve, whether it's processes, whether it's the questions that need to be asked, whether it's whatever's related, then you're doing okay. But if we're talking nothing more than apathy, oh, well, people make mistakes and then you don't do anything with it because you really don't care or don't want to do anything about it, that can be a downfall of an organization. So there has to be some good guidelines in terms of that. We can't just say, well, we would like to have a, an organization or leadership or culture that is accepting of mistakes or understands that mistakes happen. What do you do moving forward? So that's an important piece to consider. So for this particular competency, it sounds like you're almost saying, okay, it's not just a blanket. We're open to mistakes because that could be leaders saying, well, it's it's my butt. If, if my employee, it's my ship, this department is. So we have to look at these mistakes. It sounds like you're almost alluding to how can we determine maybe types of types of mistakes that are likely to happen, severity levels, and almost like a triage plan for when those mistakes happen so that it's not just mistakes happen, it's okay. There's a plan there. Absolutely. And this can be something that happens because of a mistake or in, in an effort to prevent mistakes. And I can give you a real life example. I worked uh, in a healthcare system that an office that was part of a hospital and this particular hospital had an incident where a patient died because the wrong medication was administered to them. And the problem other than lack of attention was that the medication they needed and the medication that was administered had the exact same uh, bottle, same exact packaging. So unless you really looked at the label, it would be 
quite easy to mix up the medication. As you can see, this was something that happened as a result of a terrible, terrible thing that happened. But moving forward, not only did the hospital make sure that never happened again, they did a complete review of what's going on within their organization, within their um, uh, hospital, where similar or different mistakes could happen because of something like that. And from there, they were proactive in preventing it. So really, there are two sides to, to that part as well, whether we are responding to, that something, to something that already happened or we're being proactive, and both are, are equally important. What we'll do, we have a couple, we have a couple hands up. I want to do a, a read through of the different domains and the subdomains that are found that companies can say, Hey, here are these domains. So I shared the one, which we've talked about, which is tolerance of failure. I want to share the others verbally, and then just give a little um, description of one. And that'll help us to have a, a broader view of all the different domains. So under cognitive domain, we have tolerance of failure, which we just talked about. We have conveying message, gathering information, purpose-oriented, learning agility, critical thinking, and ethical. And under, and this is all in the article, which will be in the show notes. You guys, anyone can download it. In the interpersonal domain, and these are again, these are the competencies for leaders and you know, developing teams in the digital age. Interpersonal domain, we have social perceptiveness, encouragement, persuasion, collaboration, and trust building. And under the business domain, again, there's four, financial management, talent management, resource allocation, empowerment, team building and coordination. And under the last domain, strategic domain, we have visioning, environmental scanning, strategy, plan development and appraisal, digital literacy, partnership development, coordination. So there's a lot here. And what that means is organizations, instead of biting off more than we can chew, maybe you look at the different domains, these four domains and say, hey, What's most important for our our plan moving forward in the digital age and with teams? Where are some of the areas based on some kind of a strategic gap analysis that we need to really improve and maybe just start off with a couple of them? I'm going to go ahead and just mention uh, what the article shares, uh, what the authors share about purpose orientation, and then I'm going to throw it to Linda Ann. So we did cover the competency of tolerance of failure. This is purpose orientation. And it's really having a purpose-oriented mindset helps leaders be more focused. And what that means is just day-to-day, being more effective for themselves, being more effective for uh, for their employees, and really helping the organization trans- keep an eye on like the, just basically the all the digital things, the internet of things and AI. But maybe leaders start out with, all right, I'm starting out purpose oriented today. It's not just going to be, we get, I I get a lot done. And at the end of the day, I don't really know what, what happened, but I knew I put out a lot of fires. So again, this is something that is highlighted that I highlighted in blue. What that means is this could be something for a stand-up meeting for a focus to get an ambassador or someone who's really purpose oriented in order to help drive that particular competency within the organization. Linda Ann, let's go to you. I was so excited about this topic. (laughs) couple of things just to to uh continue on your your topic of purpose one of this that particular content that you just mentioned is one of the reasons that when i work with uh companies and and people purpose is the 
guiding light. That's one of the things that I focus on most because it makes, it does keep people focused. It's when you have a clear purpose, it makes decision-making easy. It makes processes more streamlined. And so I think purpose is, orientation is extremely critical in having an effective organization and effective in their moving forward in an efficient way. The other thing, when you were talking about tolerance of failure, I look at it from the perspective of professional development and how leaders need to have the skills to focus on the professional development of their team and do and create a process for incremental risk-taking so that as they move forward, they're given the opportunity to have failures, but they're small failures. They're easier to learn. They're easier to build on. And it creates a safer environment uh, because you're not crashing and burning all the time, right? And then when they're smaller increments, you can also do a little bit more of a pivot when you see something going wrong. It's easier to take that pivot and make a course correction. So I, I see it as if you're not fostering the tolerance of failure and not creating the opportunities to fail safely, then you're you're missing an opportunity to really help your team grow. I love that about incremental risk taking because you take it basically. You have this this line from from low stakes situations to high stakes situations, and then a, a company can decide or a department can decide where on that level do you start with the risk taking and. Uh, starting to understand how are we triaging this? What's happening? Do we have a process? And then using incremental risk-taking. And Linda, Ann, what you point out is many of you know Kuzas and Posner, the book, The Leadership Challenge. These are researchers that have done now probably 50 years of research. Their leadership practice inventory has been taken, I don't know how many millions of times. But one of the five traits uh, that people look for globally in a leader. One of the five traits is encouraging risk taking. So actually encouraging risk taking. And Linda Ann, you're saying, look, we can we can do this. We can actually put a process to it so that the leaders don't say, "Ah, well, my butt's on the line." It starts to become part of that culture. And like when you were talking about the whole purpose orientation, L- Linda Ann, how would you how would you combine the two? Like, how would you have the one competency of of purpose orientation lead into or vice versa of the tolerance of risk taking? Would that be, can that be part of part of the day-to-day purpose? Absolutely. I mean, anytime there's a, a decision to be made, it needs to be brought back to it. Does it support the purpose in some way? Does it help us get closer? And so to me, it's just the, the purpose should be, have a come you should be talking about that if not daily at least weekly as part of your uh conversations and how are we going to get there and if you need to but i look at it really when you look at someone's professional development and what is their growth path that needs to be aligned with the purpose so when it's all aligned even though you're taking risks you're still moving towards purpose does that answer your question it does. And it makes me think too of, you know, as I like, you can also test along the way, kind of like if you're in marketing, you think about AB testing, where you don't have much faith in this particular marketing campaign, but you need the data, you need to test and see what part of it works and what doesn't, even though it's a risk. But by doing that and then tracking and using data and analytics, 
And now you're getting into some some digital uh, softwares and processes that you can use to help with that, to make it more purposeful. I like it. And just to 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 build on the need for data-driven information and how much more available it's becoming, that is going to be a key standard or performance standard that leaders are going to need to have. It's going to be need to be a, a metric that they uh, measure by because, and I see this movement towards the data-driven um, decision-making and so forth, a huge win for IOs because it's going to open up this whole new avenue of a way to walk into an organization to facilitate leadership growth, development, and process. Thanks, Linda. Ann. Jeannie, let's go to you. Yeah. So um, a couple of thoughts I had when Dr. Grydeck was talking and also to Linda Ann's point, um, and all of these competencies kind of, I, I feel like they're not so separate or individual. A couple of thoughts I had is by tracking the mistakes or failures, as they called them, we can see the reasons why they are failures. What led to, what are the root causes? Why did they fail? And are they constant failures? So is it more than one employee making those uh, failures or those mistakes? So it becomes a, a question of process. Does is there is there something involved in the process that needs tweaked or changed? Is it you know a process improvement or is it training and learning? Is it uh, is the employee willing to change or improve or is it is it there's a reason why they're not willing to? So asking those questions of why. Also, how is the leader responding to? the the failures. Um, I've been in leadership meetings where a person is called out in public by where, where there's more than 30 people present and they're calling them out. Are they doing it individually? Are they doing it in a public forum? So that brings in the interpersonal. Um, and then another part of the strategic strategic, you know, are they being proactive? Are they looking for possible mistakes that could come up or are they being reactive? Um, are they just responding to problems instead of being strategic about it? So those are just some of my thoughts. I love the part. How often during the day are we not reactive? Like it's human nature. We're reactive all the time. And just in general, when having, because I love talking about this in terms of just effective communication, not being reactive, avoid your knee jerk, uh, avoid your knee jerk reaction. And then as George Costanza did and does in Seinfeld, do the opposite and doing the opposite sometimes of your instinctual action can be very effective. I have uh, a close friend of mine who I actually did some coaching with. He sent me over the weekend just a shot of uh, just a picture of his computer screen. And on a sticky note, it says, do the opposite. And he said, that's the best advice that he's ever gotten. And he uses it and thinks about it daily. And it's made him more effective. And at the very least, it makes him pause and think about what he's going to say or do and should he do the opposites, opposite. But that helps him take that pause and create that space between something and then the reaction. And then that leads into what Jeannie was mentioning about the the act of learning. So I'll share now just a little blurb on the other competency, and then we'll then we'll go to Aaron on learning agility. 
Active learning, and this is from the article, active learning enables leaders to adjust their behaviors and strategies in a timely manner and deal with dynamic situations. We know that. And through this learning, so leaders can improve how they adapt and how they're flexible. And when we do that, it helps decision make, uh, making abilities, which is, oh my gosh, in the digital age, when there's so many different technologies out there, there are so many different worries we look at the not only the uh, and I, I was talking to a Steve Hader who was on our podcast uh, uh, I think last time or another AI one was talking about adaptability versus adopting adoptability with digital technology. So when like leaders like what do you, what are your organizations doing and how are you being encouraged to adapt? How are you being taught to adapt? And then how much is is flexibility valued and even uh, pertinent for your particular position. So that's another one of the competencies here. Aaron? Hey, happy to be on as always. And oh boy, you know, I love a good framework. So the first thing I look at when I see this is just the complexity and just the beauty of how it's just linked up with each other. You've got the interpersonal and business domains with mutual influence. And that's really where I was looking. I know the last couple of points we've made are cognitive domain, looking at purpose-oriented, critical thinking, learning agility, but I'm really drawn to personal and business domains. What I take note of is in the business domain, a couple of competencies you have are empowerment, and then you have team building and coordination, but you look right across at interpersonal and you see collaboration and trust building. And so I think from the perspective of somebody looking at this, uh, a CEO or manager leader looking at, okay, wow, this is a lot of things, a lot of start uh, checkboxing and what are we going to start measuring, going to start looking. At. But I think it's important to see that a lot of these blend in with each other. You know, cognitive and strategic domains look at each other of once in the cognitive domain, you look at purpose oriented. Okay, you have a purpose. Now you look over at the strategic domain of visioning. What does that purpose look like? What's the vision for it? And so you look at working with your HR or your IO or your coach or consultant or whoever you're working with, or even internally, just looking at, okay, when we're trying to tick these boxes, when we're trying to develop employees, what does it look like? And how do these blend on top of each other? And I think that plays to Dr. Martha's point earlier of intent, you know, having intentional change and looking at, okay, what are we really trying to do here? What are we trying to measure and being willing to lean into the complexity of this, really break it down of this is a beautiful framework. I love this. I'm going to be referencing this so many more times in the future, but I think it's important to break it down in these pieces of, okay, at mid-level, what are we looking at in these domains to help uh, talent development for our employees? You know, what are we going to create as uh, Jeannie had mentioned processes? You know, what are we really going to look at? And then finally, just speaking to uh, Linda Ann's point as well in complexity. You know, I mentioned a couple podcast episodes ago, it's important for us as human beings, as things, the tools that we have become more evolved and more complicated. It's important for us individually to become more evolved and complex as well. So looking at something like this, which is a beautiful framework, again, I'll shout praise. It's it's nice, but it's important for us individually to become more complex in juggling these of, okay, wow, this is a, a framework and a half. How do how does empowerment blend into collaboration? How does that how does digital literacy play into our business currently? 
And to my final point, thinking on those, a lot of these competencies, I saw the title for this episode and I thought competencies for a digital age, it's still going to be the same competencies. You're still going to want collaboration. You're still going to want to have empowerment. You're still going to want rewards and praise for your employees, even if they're all over the world. You're going to want inclusion for different cultures, uh, different time zones, et cetera. And so then the complexity is still there. It's still things that we're able to practice, even if digital is not something included in your current business model or something you might not see happening uh, in the future. And that empowerment competency you mentioned, there's one of my, I highlighted this in red. It's probably my favorite line here in this particular article. Empowerment itself does not mean depriving managers of their own power. And that made me think back to Kuzis and Posner again, how the paradox of power in order to become powerful, you have to give it away. And it's interesting because now you look at this and it says empowerment itself does not, it's, yeah, you're not giving your, it's almost like, you, even though you give power away, it doesn't mean that you're depriving yourself of that power. You're simply empowering others. And per the article here, that can help foster synergy, stimulate top, I'm sorry, stimulate bottom up tech innovations and help these organizations better face the challenges that are coming with the digital age because you're empowering its, its purposeful empowerment. And then again, like like you're saying, it all falls back into empowering others to uh, self-direction, right? Reflection through their own mistakes and on and on and on. So this is good. And yeah, who doesn't love a great template? You're listening to Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Please subscribe to the podcast because that helps us out and it helps the field of IO. And if you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cbloc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Dr. Martha, it's good to you. So we've been talking about one article for roughly half an hour. Granted, it's a meta-analysis, but it's still just one article. And think about all the different variables that you have already brought into the conversation. So I think it's important to remind organizations not to assume that everybody in management or leadership positions is capable of all of these things, that they have all of these competencies. It's so important for organizations to invest time, energy, and effort into their managers and their leaders if they expect them to succeed at what they do. So many times people are hired for management or leadership positions and they really are lacking in these competencies. And in some cases, and everybody's probably seen one in their 
own careers, they have no place being in management or leadership positions. And if organizations simply assume that, well, we hired you for this, you need to be good at these things, or at least learn how to be good at these things on your own, you are failing not only that leader or manager, but the people that work for them, as well as the organization as a whole. So the importance of this goes beyond just this conversation. Great, we've identified these things, but how do we ensure that people are able to be successful and succeed here, which brings it back to the organization to make sure that they put in the time and energy, giving everybody a fair chance to succeed. And that hits on one of the other competencies, partnership development and coordination. And this I'm taking for a little bit of a spin because you you, you mentioned earlier that, look, you've got all of these, what is, it? I think there's like 22, 25 different subdomains of these competencies. And you say, look, organizations, it takes a lot to get, you know, you, you're not likely going to have a leader who is just a rock star in all of these different competencies because then you get into um, different cognitive domains, and you also get into personalities and and all these kinds of things. So when when one of the competencies is actually partnerships, from the article, partnerships are believed to provide orgs with better knowledge reserves, learning abilities, and dynamic capabilities in the new digital environment. Leaders need to demonstrate a range of skills and attitudes. People have different attitudes, including developing effective communication and conflict resolution plans. And expressing a commitment to reach uh, win-win situations, solutions, and sharing information. So, in that, with the partnerships, it's almost almost makes me think. Look, if you're looking, if these particular competencies are needed, and maybe you have a small team, maybe you're a small company, and you're really trying to get over that hump with all this digital stuff, it might make sense to partner with an organization who has the know-how, who has the knowledge, who has the technology and are really in it. Also with the partnerships, partner, this is what Tom would say, partner with partner with an IO, an IO psychologist, because they can help you develop a plan to increase the competencies across the board for your leaders. Yes, at different levels for different leaders, but IOs can help you come up with a strategic plan uh, through that strategic partnership. Brendan, let's go to you. So I have two thoughts on this. So, so the first thought is the concept of micromanagement within this is that um, when I first started my new job and part of the interview process was, look, I'm not going to micromanage you. I don't want to do that. So part of you taking this job is you're going to be given the autonomy and you need to run with it. You need to find out the ways to do things. And I think that component of what I'm seeing a lot right now is people want to be micromanaged. And I'm even seeing like leaders want to be micromanaged up. Once I hand something to you and it's up to you to then get it over the finish line, I shouldn't have to send six follow-up emails. One, maybe two, then then it what is it? Two, two is harassment, three is a restraining order, that sort of uh, idea. That's what I go off of. But that's that's one of the things that I'm seeing a lot of people struggling with is this concept of micromanagement, and they want to be micromanaged. And I was like, no, you're being given the authority and the autonomy and the independence to do these things, and you want it to be taken away from you. And then within the social constructs of this, I think we we need to also acknowledge that I'm going to go back to French and Raven with the uh, five or six types of powers 
within the the social construct of legitimate, reward, expert, referent, coercive, and informational, I think the social aspect of this relationship also needs to be considered as well is that the leader of this team or the leadership way of leadership that exists on a team, what is the the basis of power based on? So that's what I would like to share with the conversation. I'm just writing that down. Brendan, that's a that would be a good topic for an episode. Do people want to be micromanaged? Because I mean, I know all of our thoughts are swirling on that. And if it's something that you've seen, and maybe it's a good topic for another time because we could start to go deep into that. It's very interesting. I wonder what the research says, and I wonder what people's experiences say about it, because there is that initial part of maybe they're afraid of getting something wrong, so they need clear directions, and maybe they're afraid to ask clear clear directions, so they're not getting it done. I mean, that's just one of, I don't know, 7.5 billion things that could be happening underneath. So thank you for bringing that up. Thank you. Linda, that's good to you. Yeah, I, I thought when Brandon started talking about that, I was like, whoa, what a Pandora's box on that one. <laughs> because, and my just initial preliminary thought on that is people who lean towards wanting more guidance may not have experienced effective leadership previously. And so they don't know how to take that interim step. And so that's just, I think we, I would love to have this conversation on another day. But um, the point I wanted to make with regard to leaders and 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 failure is, and to follow up on what Jeannie had said earlier, was, you know, and that leader being called out, a couple of points there. One is when you're a leader and you make a decision, you need to have had some solid ground for making that decision, right? It's not just that, yeah. Let me let me test the wind today kind of thing. There needs to be something you base that decision on. You need to feel good about it. And you need to be able to say, this is why I made that decision. And it was solid and it had purpose. It had support of the per- towards the purpose of the organization. The other part is not all failures are complete failures. You know, you can have a failure, but say, but this is what we took away from it. This is what we learned from it. And and so it wasn't a complete failure. You didn't walk away with an empty um, bucket from it. You gained something from it and it moved your organization closer to where they want to be. The other thing, too, is as a leader, I, I wouldn't recommend that you go into risk blindly, right? You just take risk without being willing to have looked at the possible failures and what could have happened. And also being, I I often said to my team saying, you know, if we go through this X, Y, and Z and it doesn't work out, I'm willing to take the hit on it. So you go into it as a leader with understanding that you need to be responsible for it and it shouldn't blindside you if if it comes back at you, but you have solid ground for, for having made that decision. I'm going to take the opportunity to make a stretch into another one of the competency, the sub-competencies, I call them sub-competencies now, or subdomains. I'll go back and forth. You know how I work. Collaboration. So collaborative behaviors of leaders and managers at all levels. We're looking at active listening, different opinions, gaining feedback from different perspectives. Isn't that difficult sometimes? Learning and pr- learning and actually practicing digital technologies, actively monitoring the digital transformation process, 
these are things that are uh, believed to promote the success of an organization in the digital age. So again, this is something highlighted in blue. So this could be something, what's our collaboration like? What's our culture of collaboration? Who emulates this? Who is a truly collaborative leader? How can we start to make them an ambassador for what we're trying to do? How well are we at practicing uh, active listening uh, and, and stand-up meetings, gaining feedback through walking around and those kinds of things. So again, this is a great template. It's a great roadmap. It's a great blueprint, this one article for creating a system, some kind of a systematic process that doesn't have to be too bulky and complex. It can be very simple. It can be, hey, here are these 22 things. Uh, we're going to talk about them. We're going to make it our, our thing for the year where maybe every every two weeks we talk about one for the entire year and we really uh, see how we can make how we can start to create this culture of collaborative behaviors one week two weeks later trust building two weeks later get into the financial management competency and on and on and on great blueprint let's go to genie you're on so again, I uh, had a thought and it was in response to Brendan's. And so, yes, I'd love to have that conversation um, another time. But my thought initially was, again, back to the root cause. I'm 100% why. Why are the leaders wanting to be micromanaged? Why are are, are are the expectations unclear for the, the leaders? Are they paralyzed with indecision because they don't know how to proceed? They aren't given that direct instruction. Uh, you know, I've witnessed leaders not leading because they either don't know how to lead, they're not giving clear expectations, or it was a misunderstanding. They were given unclear expectations. So they led one way and it was the wrong way. So is the failure because of a miscommunication, a misunderstanding of how they interpret it? Because perception is a big issue, especially in communication. Were the expectations clearly laid out? Thank you, Jeannie. And Aaron, let's go to you. Yeah, honestly, I also have a point based on what Brendan had said earlier. So like Dr. Martha said, really just opened a, a can of worms there, or a Linda Ann, sorry, I think I called out the wrong person. But when he mentioned micromanagement, I started to think of intent, right? Like I look at the framework we have and I see the cognitive domain of conveying your message, being intentional with how you act and how you show up for your employees, you know, conveying your message of being a micromanager. What does that show? Oh, you are not trusted. It shows, you know, all those things that we can definitely talk about at a different point. But I think also to not just conveying your message verbally, like you have a leadership who shows, Hey, here's our vision. But then it goes down to middle management and middle management have to learn how to receive a message and then convey it. Also, it turns into a game of telephone. You know, it can get difficult for frontline employees to understand the vision because you've got 15 different leaders or managers, depending on where they fall, giving a different message. And then that also leads me to thinking of effective leadership, not just verbally conveying a message, but in how you act also being a role model being a role model and as a CEO, two or three levels down might see you acting a certain way. And that's modeling the vision. That's conveying your message. And all that came from thinking about micromanagement and just the intent of how do we show up individually? 
not only as the CEO and leadership, but also lower in uh, the director level, the vice president level, or even middle management? How do you show up and how are you conveying the message of the company? I love it, Aaron, which leads us to competency 3.4.1 here in the article, which is visioning. Again, we're going, we're sharing what the different competencies are and competencies are and giving a little blurb. Identifying future by identifying future opportunities for an organization, leaders can develop change and motivate other participants in the organization. Clear, reasonable vision for the organization's future and pass that vision on to employees. I have a little bit, I think just reading this, I think I have a little bit of a, not a problem, but a problem. Create a clear and reasonable vision for the org's future and pass the vision on to the employees. I would say create a clear and a little stretchy vision. Maybe not, maybe feasible, but a little out there. It makes me think of, oh gosh, was it Collins and Pora's, uh, uh, one of their books where they had the BHAGs, the big, hairy, and audacious goals, something like that. But yeah, I think the vision should be you know, a little stretchy, a little out there and uh, pass the vision on to employees. I would say find alignment, not pass it on to the employees, but find alignment with what they're either passionate about or, or matrix or talented on. If you're going to pass on to the vision of employees, think about it. If you're passing it on, like you're passing the baton in a, in a relay race. The other people in the race want to be in the race. They're competent in the race. They know how to run. They're obviously on your team. And they've been practicing. So now you, you're you aligned in some way. So you can pass the vision in that way, but you got to make sure they're on your team. You got to make sure they want to be in the race uh, and on and on and on. So good. That that helped us cover visioning. Thank you, Aaron. Lee, on to you. Ooh, man. So much to unpack so quickly. You know, for one thing, some of this, I think we're, we're, we're really hitting the line between a manager and a leader. Leaders lead people, managers manage things, and a lot of times people don't understand the difference. Now, as far as the, the micromanagement, the people who you know seem to want to be micromanaged, I bet you if you ask them, they would tell you they don't want to be micromanaged, but they don't, they don't think of it in those terms. And I think some of that comes from a culture of fear. They're, they're afraid to fail. They're afraid to mess up. They're, you know, they're, whether it's in your culture or a previous position, there's something there that makes them afraid to step out on their own and show initiative. And so that's one thing that you did you want to address. You can do some you know, looking at your company culture. You can do some employee uh, development, uh, various things you could do there. And as far as the failure thing, I mean, I learned a long time ago that, you know, encourage your people to fail. Fail early, fail often, but fail safely. And you got to provide that that environment to where they feel safe enough to do that. And to Linda Ann's point, you got to be willing to take the arrows, you know, from, from above. But, you know, yes, Thomas Edison, he said he never failed in making a light bulb. He just found a thousand ways it didn't work. So you got to, you got to frame it in a way that, you know, even if this particular path didn't go, we're still walking forward. And and as far as the, the vision goes and the collaboration, I mean, you know, a lot of that comes down to, to communication and managing expectations. And, and I and I firmly believe that goes both directions. My people need to know what I expect from them, but I need to know what they expect from me. And we need to have that two-way conversation. And if I have a vision or the people above me have a vision, that needs to be clearly articulated down. And there needs to be feedback on that. You know, because oftentimes the people at the top are like, yeah, we're going to do this. And the people at the bottom are going, yeah, that's not it. Well, 
they know that because they're the guys doing the work. So we need to talk to them and go, okay, well, if that's not going to work, why is it not? And what are our options? You know, is it we need to take a, you know, a half jog to the left and it works? You know, what exactly is our, our stopping block? And actually facilitate the conversation, not just that's not going to work. So there's 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 a lot you can do with that, but it does require the well the 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 courage on the leader's part to actually be open to that conversation because a lot of times you your people in your higher position they don't want to hear it. they don't just make it happen. I mean I worked for for a guy who owned a company that we were telling him something he wants something we we're like you can't do this illegal I don't care do it anyway. Well you know you gotta you gotta be able to actually have that conversation. And that leads us to the two of the other competencies. One is the ethical competency, and the other one is uh, team building and coordination. So this one, this one's interesting from from the authors. Organizational differences, such as conflicts conflicts between old and new orders and culture changes, these are things that require leaders to have sufficient ability to resolve conflicts between different departments and teams within the organization. So here we go back to that coordination. We used to do things this way. We still do things this way. There's going to be a lot of conflicts. And I would say not sufficient ability, but stellar ability. Because if we think we have sufficient ability, we're, we probably, we're probably not that good at it. And this goes to, you ask a room of 30 people, hey, who here is a really good communicator? They're going to, you know, a lot of people are going to raise their hands. So they already think they have stellar ability. And likely, because none of us are really great communicators by nature. And even when you work and work and work, it's difficult, but search for that stellar ability to resolve conflicts and communicate. Linda Ann, let's go to you. So w- on that point, um, one of the things that, that came to mind for me was that when you have a risk-taking mindset within the organization, it allows the organization to evolve on a continual basis. So you avoid that process of needing to change a culture periodically. If you can continually evolve and stay relevant, then you're avoiding that need to initiate the change because the change is, is part of your culture. You do need to be careful of the uh, change fatigue, but if you're if you're doing it properly, there's just this constant evolution to stay relevant and effective. Two things I wanted to to mention that are kind of inspirational things for me, uh, and it has to do with some risk-taking is one thing I remember seeing Russell Wilson interviewed, and he was raised in an environment where everything was possible, where his father constantly said to him, why not you? Why not take that risk? Why not have that amazing goal of yours be you? And the other one is, I believe it's from the person who created Spanx. I don't recall her name, but her father also said to her, he would ask her every day, what did you fail at today? Not what was your great success? What did you fail at today? So that he could encourage her at taking risks and moving on and seeing things in a broader perspective. And so if as a leader, you look at that and, and can ask those questions of your employees, the people who work with you, um, it doesn't have to be a huge failure. It could be, you know, when I sent that email today, it really didn't go over well. And so I need to figure out how to, um, so whatever it is, it's small failures, but you're moving yourself forward. And I think those two mindsets are amazing ways to create a culture in an organization. 
And on that mindset, I shared this in an episode long, long ago. There's a researcher out of Australia, I believe. And he said, the most important thing you can say to your kids every day is, I love you. I'm proud of you. And I believe in you no matter what. He said that saying that sentence, and I say it, I say it to my kids every single day, saying that to them, I mean, he just, he looked at all the research, what he was a psychologist, so his, his practice, he looked at everything. And he, and those are the words that provide the, that solve the need for X, Y, and Z, which I won't even try to remember back to what they are. But you think about how employer, how leaders in the organizations can, can change that and make it more at, uh, adapt that to the workplace. But for parents out there, Tell your kids every day, I love you. I'm proud of you. And I believe in you no matter what, even when you got to clench your teeth to say it because they're driving you nuts. Dr. Martha. Just to add to that point. So what Linda Ann was saying and, and Dr. Jeremy, you continued how important it is to be okay with failure. We are collectively brought up to not be okay with failure. I think it's fair to say that most people growing up, don't get that validation that you can dream as big as you want and why not you and failure is a learning opportunity. And then you get into school and failure is a shame. In traditional schooling, there's really no other way of putting it. There are so few experiences where a child can be taught otherwise. So an employer then has this huge responsibility of making failure okay, because most people already come with all kinds of baggage in terms of what failure means and avoiding it at all costs and the shame that comes with it. So those were really great points that the two of you just made the opportunity of making failure okay and turning it into something that can benefit you and the organization. What a good discussion today. We went through, oh my gosh, all those competencies if you're again, if you're uh, catching the recording of this, check out the article. It'll be in the show notes, and there'll be a, a link there. It's publicly available. But absolutely well done, everyone, with some critical thinking, some practical thinking, some applied thinking. Next week, emotional intelligence, fostering interpersonal skills in the digital era. Then June 15th, we have data literacy, building competence in data analytics and interpretation. June 22nd, upskilling and reskilling strategies for continuous learning and development. And on and on and on. Check out cboc.com slash events. And don't forget about our three-day virtual experience, which is going to be fantastic. You can see that on the events page. That's going to be in August. And for those of you who want to buy a plane ticket, do a road trip, or live uh, on the on the east coast in the Maryland DC area, we're going to have an in person meetup. Thank you, everyone. Tom won't be here next week either, but he may. So if you hated it this much without Tom, there's a chance he may be here. So still come. It's undetermined. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, 
and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com. 